Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters. Hello, how are ya? Welcome to another episode of MASH Matters. I'm Ryan Patrick alongside my partner, Mr. Jeff Maxwell. Hello, Jeff. And I am Jeff Maxwell alongside my partner, Mr. Ryan Patrick. I am well, Ryan, and I know you're well. You're recovering from a long trip. You went to New York with 1,600 teenagers, and (laughs) none of you were arrested, so... Not that I know of. No, no. I I chaperoned a high school trip to New York City. We had 105 people on two buses roaming around the city, and I'm proud to say that uh, none of the kids that were under my watchful eye got kidnapped. They all made it back in one piece. And uh, for that, I think I deserve some sort of medal. There you go. That's Ah, what you deserve. There you go. Thank you. Indeed. Yes. No, that was I I actually volunteered to do that several times, but then the police took me away. So it it didn't work out. (laughs) I thought, you know, they can get in my van. It's okay. Come on, kids. But nobody would. There were a few times I wish some guys would pull up in a padded van and take me away. But, you know, (laughs) for the most part, it was. It was not a bad trip. Good. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you made it back. Made it back. And uh, we are here and ready to talk more about MASH. This is a show, of course, near and dear to both of our hearts for different reasons. I'm a huge fan. Jeff, you were on the show as Private Igor for many, many years. And uh, I'm still amazed so many years later how much MASH is still out there on a regular basis. Every time I'm turning on the TV, it's on TV. People are still talking about it. Alan Alda has had kind of a a resurgence of late. You know, uh, Loretta Swit is now like the queen of social media. People still love hearing these stories and hearing from the cast members. And it, uh, it's, it's really kind of touching, isn't it? It's very touching because it's, you know, near and dear to my heart as a thing that changed my life. It was an arena where I grew up and learned a lot about just living, um, being a, a person in an ensemble uh, of, of an acting company mm-hmm. uh, that was not only just an acting company, but it was a serious business that was really impacting the lives of everybody that watched it and in one way or another. So, yeah, it was a pretty darn important thing to me in my way and certainly to fans uh, in certainly a different way, but, but very, very impactful. You know, which brings me to a question. We didn't talk about this, but I found a question that I maybe I asked you this or, you know, some time ago. I don't know. We were talking at one point about listeners, who's your favorite character and all that kind of stuff. And I have one for you. I don't know if I ever asked you this, but who did you resonate with on MASH? What was your who was your favorite character? Oh, you know, that's a great question. Um, You know, the, the easiest answers would be, you know, who didn't want to be Hawkeye Pierce? But in all honesty, I'll tell you the character that. I loved the most, and this might surprise you because he's not necessarily a character that is at the top of list of most beloved characters, but I have a soft place in my heart 
for Charles Emerson Winchester III. Ah, okay. Yeah. Right. Now, it's not because I think he necessarily is a character that I would want to emulate. However, I connected with him. It's hard to put my finger on exactly why. He was very good at what he did. He wasn't... Um, he wasn't afraid to let everybody know how good he was. And in the hands of a lot of different actors, a character like that would come off as completely uh, insufferable and unpleasant. But there was something about David Ogden Stiers and the way that he brought some humanity to that role that made me really fall in love with that character. Wow, interesting. I, I give all the credit to him because he really did bring different layers to that character. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. On the surface, yes, he's pompous, he's egotistical, he's uh, rich and snooty. But, you know, he did some things with that character that made him human and peeled back the onion and the layers to show us, even though he had a, a pompous exterior, there was a genuine good person, I think, underneath all of it. So very cool. Thank you. That's interesting. I, I probably wouldn't have picked that for you, but hey. But I, I'll say that I think that I can find things in every character on MASH that I resonate with. You know, I think that was kind of the beauty of MASH is that these characters were all very relatable. Either we saw some of us in those characters or we saw people that we know and love in those characters. You talked about being in an ensemble. Well, in real life, we are in an ensemble. We have families, we have co-workers, we have people that we associate with, that we spend time with, we work with. And so we're all in different ensembles. And, and the same way that uh, MASH came to life with these different characters, we all have to deal with different characters. And so I think one of the beauties of MASH is that we can see you know, radar in somebody we know. We can see Henry Blake in somebody we know and and Hawkeye and Margaret and 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 heaven forbid Frank Burns. We see these people because <laughs> we're we're around them all the time. And I think that's what made MASH so appealing is we knew these characters. If we didn't know them specifically, we knew people like them. And I, and I think that was the in the initial writing of MASH and the genius Larry Gelbart was able to instill a lot of that humanity in, like you say, all the all the characters. So there was a lot of, let's say, Larry Gelbart in all those characters, mm -hmm. which made it easy to identify with a lot of characters because there are lots of parts of us that are in all those characters. So we can, yeah. like you say, we can appreciate each one of them for what they do and, and how they're how they're behaving at, at, you know, any specific given time. It was, uh, yeah, they are, it was quite a show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it quite, yes, it was. Quite well done, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> yes, it was. And, and again, the, the way that these actors can bring some of these characters and, and make them human when they could very easily go a different route and, and uh, make them a caricature, you know, um, mm -hmm. that speaks a lot to the writing and it speaks a lot to the casting decisions that were made. Because, you know, a character like Charles or a character like Frank or, you know, a character even like early Margaret, not necessarily likable characters. And as actors and writers, you have to figure out a way to make sure that they don't turn into caricatures of themselves. And, and we can find something relatable about these people, even if we don't like them or we don't agree with them. We have to be able to find something human about them and relatable. And, you know, not just MASH, but, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit off microphone about uh, All in the Family. Mm -hmm. And you look at a character like Archie Bunker. 
right. who is a racist bigot mm-hmm. and yet still remains one of the most beloved television characters of all time. Well, that speaks a lot to uh, the writing. That speaks a lot to, you know, Norman Lear and Carol O'Connor and what they were able to do with not only the characters, but how they interacted with the characters around them Mm -hmm. as well. And I think that uh, MASH is is the same, how these characters relate to one another and how they relate to being in a place like Korea during a war when they shouldn't ever be there. I mean, it's it's a testament to the acting and the writing that uh, makes a lot of these characters endure for so many years. And one of the things that I think helped physically everybody on MASH in in terms of the actors uh, to feel like they were in this uh, pit (laughs) was the set. (laughs) (laughs) You were in a pit. (laughs) You were in a pit. Stage nine, it was not a pretty place. It was pretty gritty. Yeah. And it was kind of dirty and there were mice all over the place and there were all kinds of weird things you didn't, that isn't, it wasn't a place that you wanted to go and hang out for a long time. But, you know, you could be there from six o'clock in the morning until eight o'clock at night, depending on how the shooting was going. Mm -hmm. So, you kind of were in a in a war. You were in a war of uh, of your career, of your job. Yeah. But you were there, and you couldn't. You know, it was dark. <laughs> you know, they had the lights on. We were doing the scene, but it, for the most part, it was a dark, dank kind of place. And you walked in there, and you know, twenty minutes after shutting those great big studio doors, you felt like you were in a weird, strange place. So I think it kind of helped everybody to to be able to relate to being in a weird, strange place and help everybody's character to be able to, to be there with it. It's, it was all, and now speaking of all in the family, Mm -hmm. by golly, and you did. (laughs) (laughs) I did. Yes. And we talked briefly before we started about the all in the family and the Jeffersons. um, I don't know what to call them. Uh, The two shows, I guess they aired, let me see, May 22nd. Mm -hmm. They recreated the Jeffersons and all of the family with different actors and with the same script. They stuck to a script that they chose, but they recreated those shows with different actors. Did you see that? And I wondered what your opinion of it. I have an opinion, but... I'm dying to hear your. I, I did. I did see it. I came in late. Uh, I had forgotten that it was going to be on. And then I remembered. And by the time I got on, it was already halfway through All in the Family. So I didn't get to see all of All in the Family's episode, but I watched the last 10 or 15 minutes of that episode. And then I saw all of uh, the Jeffersons. You know, it, I think it was an interesting experiment. It, it's one of those things. And I, we had talked a little bit about this in an earlier episode when I was sharing my opinion on when somebody stages the play of MASH and my challenges of watching something like that with other actors trying to portray these iconic characters. And I had some of the similar feelings here. It felt strange seeing other people playing these roles that I grew up watching. Mm -hmm. And I think some of them were better than others. I, I couldn't buy into... Woody Harrelson as Archie Bunker. He didn't really work for me. And then Jamie Foxx, <laughs> man, he was he was in full Sherman Hemsley mode uh, <laughs> during during the Jeffersons. Yeah, he was. And it was wonderful, by the way, to see Marla Gibbs show up. Uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, she shows up at the end as Florence. Yeah. Man, I mean, the memories came flooding back. And, you know, they did a great job of recreating the sets and the, the look and the feel. But that said, it felt like actors putting on costumes and playing 
it didn't necessarily feel like it was, you know, them actually embodying the characters. It was them just mimicking the characters. And uh, exactly. so that, that was yeah. my problem. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a huge problem with it. I, I kept looking at it being more uh, getting angrier and angrier. These are incredibly talented actors who were there. All of them were mm-hmm. uh, no question about that. I am a huge fan of Norman Lear. I'm a big fan of Jimmy Kimmel as well. And for the most part, I'm a big fan of all the actors. And I give all those actors tremendous credit for the roles that they have brought me and and given me such pleasure watching them over the years. Mm -hmm. But I kept watching it thinking, why in the hell are they doing this? (laughs) What what is this for? Yeah. What are you doing? It was almost like, okay, who can imitate this actor better than the other person? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I couldn't figure that out. Yeah, Jamie Foxx did a great job, but but so what? I, I I can't figure out what the point of imitating those actors was. Yeah. Why not give those two scripts to those same actors and say, here, let's see your characterization. You come up with a character. It doesn't have to sound like Carol O'Connor. Uh, it, it just has to be what you think this character should should do. Give it a shot. It would have been a revelation, I think, to actually see a new take on it on those two shows, somebody else giving their impression, their interpretation of a part. And those parts were written beautifully. There was so much meat on those bones. Any actor would kill to be able to give that moment and and find out and explore the moments of that character from their own point of view. So having having to stand there and imitate an actor that did it umpteen years ago, to me, I don't know. It, to me, it was kind of insulting. It was probably a big gain. Everybody got, oh, ha ha, this is kind of fun. We're doing this. But boy, I thought it was a big waste of time. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> Which brings me to the question. Yes. What would happen if somebody said, okay, let's do this with MASH? Mm. Would that work? In the first place, I, you know my opinion whether it would work or not. Mm-hmm. But I wonder, you take all these actors and Alan Alda and everybody that was in the show and say, okay, we're going to get a bunch of other actors and we're going to bring them in and they're going to take a, a script and they're going to imitate Alan Alden, Gary Berghoff, and Loretta Swit. They're going to imitate them within the structure of this thing. Oof. I mean, can you imagine that? Really? Wow. Can I imagine it happening? Um, well, I, yes, I could imagine it happening. Do I want it to happen? No, I yeah. don't want it to happen. Um, again, for the same reason, uh, I don't like watching people who have no business playing certain roles, playing certain roles. And, uh, and and that would be just a stunt. Thank you. A stunt. Absolutely. A stunt. Yeah. Now, if somebody wanted to take the original MASH novel and wanted to make another film adaptation or something like that, or they wanted to go on Hulu or a Netflix and make a, a six-part more in-depth look at these characters... I don't know that I'd necessarily have as much of an issue with that, but if they were taking the exact same scripts that already existed, handing it to people and said, okay, I want you to pretend to be Gary Berghoff, and I want you to pretend to be Larry Linville, and you pretend to be McLean Stevenson, 
oh, that just doesn't sit well with me. Yeah, they're asking actors to pretend to be those other actors, mm -hmm. not to be the characters. Yeah. That's what I really objected to. That's what got in the way of it for me. I, I, what, what, are, what are these Academy Award winning people doing trying to imitate an actor that would, did something 25 years ago? Yeah. I mean, it would be a cute thing if they were sitting on a on the Jimmy Kimmel show and said, hey, you know, I can imitate so-and-so. This is really good. And you go, oh, that's cute. But to recreate it with that, like you said, it was a stunt. Right. And it was imitating an actor, not dealing with the characters. Now, now that said. That said, ladies and gentlemen. Let me look at the other side of this. All right. If, if somebody came away from watching the All in the Family and the Jeffersons reimagining. Yeah. And they came away from that saying, hey, I want to go check out these shows yeah then they sat down and they watched all in the family and then they sat down and they watched the jeffersons and they thought oh my gosh i really like this if that's the point of it to to reintroduce some of these shows to a generation that doesn't know them then i can see a positive outcome there but it, it, boy there has to be a better way of doing that rather than <laughs> watching some actors badly you know imitate these characters yeah i don't know you know i i can see both sides of the coin yep but i don't i hope that this doesn't start a new trend because once you know every time somebody does something for the first time and it has any success whatsoever then all of a sudden everybody wants to do it and heaven forbid they start dusting off some of these classic shows you know and saying hey we're gonna do i love lucy um and uh right. you know and jack black is gonna play fred mertz <laughs> well you know you laugh but if a couple of years ago people had said hey they're gonna they're gonna redo an episode of all in the family and have woody harrelson playing archie bunker yeah, i would drop over dead thinking about that yeah you would think that there's no way that's going to happen but it did so anything's possible i'm working very hard here in los angeles to sell various things, television shows. Mm -hmm. I've written them. I will hopefully produce them. I will be part of them. I work very, very hard to create them and to create uh, interest in them. And uh, hopefully they will be on the t television someday. What's confusing to me, and I wonder from a business point of view, this was the show was produced, and I, I, we will talk about MASH, but I'm curious about this. Jimmy Kimmel was the executive producer of the show, along with Norman Lear. Mm -hmm. I wonder whose idea it was. Uh, I'm certain that Jimmy Kimmel is in awe of Norman Lear. Anybody who's got a brain should be. Yes. And so did he go to Norman Lear and say, Norman, I, I think your show should, because to your point, Hey, getting him on on the air in any form may stimulate interest in the shows. And then maybe somebody goes back and watches the reruns of those shows. And that's pretty cool. But who who said that might happen? Whose idea was it to do that? Couldn't you do it like like they do in the movie channel, the old movie channel where they have a guest host or, or a, you know, they have the, the host and then the, a guest comes on and, and picks movies that they're going to show? And they talk about it before the movie starts. And then when the movie ends, they talk about it when the movie ends. So there's kind of a, a review of it from that person's point of view based on their appreciation of that movie because they love the movie. So you think, well, why couldn't you have Jimmy Kimmel and Norman Lear and somebody else if they wanted to and say, OK, we're going to talk about Jefferson's. This is how it started. This is how we cast it. This is how we did it. These are what the actors went through. And now here's an episode. You show the episode and maybe you come in. 
10 minutes after it starts and say, you know, when they did this and this is what happened and now we're back to the show. Yeah. What's the wrong, what would have been so terrible about that? Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I ask you, <laughs> what would have been so wrong there? I'm in total agreement. I think you and I, we are both preaching to the choir here, but I, I'm curious to hear if, if, and I'm and not whether or not you think it's a good idea, but if, if they tomorrow announced, yes, we are going to redo an episode of MASH, who would they have play the roles? Yeah. Who would be Hawkeye? Who would be Frank? Who would they put in these roles? Yeah. I shudder to think some of the really bad casting decisions oh, that boy. could be made. <laughs> I can't think right now of anybody who could step into any of those roles and play it with any kind of uh, effectiveness. I don't know. The only There's only two people that I could think of that would play it in terms of the voice quality, not the performances. You can't do that. But the voice quality, there's only two people. Bill Hader. Oh, yeah. 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 And Howard Stern. <laughs> <laughs> Howard Stern. If you listen to Howard Stern, and I have occasionally... Sounds like Alan Alda a lot. He actually does have an Alan Alda sound to him. And of uh -huh. course, Bill Hader did Alan Alda. On <laughs> he Saturday does the best Alan Alda, Alda impression. Yeah, he, he did oh, do. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah so those right. two guys. Everybody else, though, is be impossible. <laughs> Just simply impossible. <laughs> I, I'm curious, but we can open this up to listeners, too. And you can you can contact us and tell us if they were to announced tomorrow that they were going to to do this they were going to redo an episode of mash who would you put in those roles send us your casting uh, choices and maybe we'll read some of those on a future episode and how willing would you be to protest that possibility <laughs> to what lengths would you go to prevent that from happening that's also something we within want to the confines of the law you know of course, of course absolutely of course we're let's not go crazy here folks no, you no, know no 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 i i don't know you know the one person who came to mind and I don't even know if this is a good idea, but Joel McHale, I think he's done a good job of creating kind of a character that's both likable and smarmy. And, and, you know, I could see him maybe stepping into a Hawkeye role. I don't know. That's the only person who first came to my mind when we started discussing this. Otherwise I can't, I don't know. I can't think of anybody. I had a, an experience on MASH one time where I actually played Hawkeye, which was one of the most terrifying moments of my life. Wait, what? I, I did. Um, nobody ever saw it or will see it, thank God. But <laughs> I had an opportunity to be Hawkeye. And the reason is, when Alan directed, because I became Alan Alda's stand-in, even after I stopped being Alan Alda's stand-in, but whenever Alan directed, I got to come in and be him in the scene so he could set up the scenes and rehearse everybody throughout the the scene. So uh. on a rehearsal day, uh, there was a rehearsal day Monday. So all day long you rehearsed. Tuesday you shot, Wednesday you shot, Thursday you shot, Friday you rehearsed. That's the kind of the way it was. There were three shooting days and then the other two days were de designated for rehearsals. So when Alan directed, I would come in and I would be Hawkeye. Wow. He asked me the first time, would you do this, you know, so I can, you know, set the scenes up. I went, yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm so happy to. Alan. Yeah. Yeah. What are you gonna what are you gonna do? It's like no. Yeah, no. <laughs> but you understand why. I, there I am. I'm gonna stand in front of Alan Alda and be Alan Alda or be Hawkeye with all the other actors. I they, I didn't care about the other actors. They're gonna they're stuck with me. 
But I'm standing in front of Alan Alda doing these lines. I can, I don't think I can do that. I mean, I sweat. That was a rough day the night before. Uh. I was nervous. And I didn't have to memorize. I was just reading them. But to say the words, say Hawkeye's words, <laughs> you know, that day in front of Alan Alda was tough. Well, yeah. But, I mean, you talk about a situation where you are uh, 100% completely self-aware of the <laughs> yeah. situation. Yeah. Woo. You know, do you, in, in, in my head, do I try and imitate it? Do I give the joke a thing? Do I do my own interpretation? Do I sound like Groucho? What do I do? Do I do a Jerry Lewis? Do I be quiet? I didn't, you know, it was, <laughs> it was something. Wow. And finally, I just said, uh, shut up and read the words. And that's what I did. <laughs> it got me through it. But it was a, it was an intimidating moment to begin with. So, it, oh, my goodness, I got to be Alan Alda a few times or at least Hawkeye a few times. That was kind of cool. So you deserve part of his Emmy then, right? Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, let me I mean, call him right now. I think I'm going to call him. I'm going to tell him you said that. Hello, Alan. <laughs> Alan, wake up, Alan. Okay. Ryan says I deserve part of your Emmy. Alan? Hello? I don't know. <laughs> so we want to hear from you. Who would you cast in all those roles? Let's see what happens. And and how far would you go to protest it from happening? <laughs> Okay, so uh, hey, we, let's let's just take a we, we we've we've talked for a while here, so we just we have. have a couple minutes here, and a couple of more questions and, and stories have come in. Yeah, one of them came in, I think, just this week. Uh, Gabrielle Fortier, I, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Fortier, Fortier. Gabriella, she is a uh, a second generation Mash fan. Parents introduced her to the show when she was 13 years old, and she's loved it ever since. And she says that this is the best MASH podcast that she's listened to online. Oh, thank and, you. Uh, thank uh, you. That's, that's very sweet of you to say, Gabrielle. Uh, but she had a question. She said, Jeff, what do you think Igor would be doing with his life after the war? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, I think he would have become, um, he would have moved to South America and become involved with uh, big drug kingpins and eventually <laughs> been slaughtered uh, mercilessly, unmercilessly, or either of those mercilessly's by uh, Mexican bandits throughout uh, South America. Probably, that was probably what happened to him. I, I, I smell a spinoff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, just uh, all kidding aside, all seriousness aside, ladies and gentlemen, I think he would have just gone home and gotten a job at a nice company and gotten married and had a couple of kids and maybe bowled quite a bit and um, had a nice life. I think he was kind of a nice guy. People say, hey, I identify with him because Igor seemed like an everyman. And I guess, yeah, that's very true. And I think that's what would have happened. I think he was a nice guy, would have had a nice life and done very well and kind of a normal guy. Wasn't a crazy guy, wasn't a brilliant surgeon. He wasn't gregarious. He wasn't hugely outspoken, just kind of a quiet person trying to get through life. That's the way I thought of him anyway yeah. there. And I'm yeah. sure that's what he probably would have done. So maybe he would work for uh, Hartford uh, Insurance or something like that and done very well. <laughs> I mean, no no offense, but I don't know that I want Igor in charge of my insurance. I'm just saying. 
<laughs> you know, Igor's a nice yeah. guy and all, but uh, yeah. yeah. Um, well, in the last episode, he said he was going to be a pig farmer. Didn't he say that? He did say that. He did say that. I, uh, quite frankly, of all my years on MASH, I was never a fond of that particular line. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go home and be a pig farmer. I kind of think he was joking. So if you watch it carefully, I was doing it like it's a joke. And well, hopefully that's what it was, because just as, you know, goofy, bad cook, oh, I'm going to go be a pig farmer. So, I don't know. I never got it. I think they just kind of threw it out there. and I had to say it. Well, I think that we can set the record straight right here and say that Igor Straminsky went home and did not become a pig farmer. He did not be. He was either a drug kingpin or he was an insurance agent <laughs> for Hartford. <laughs> One of those two. Or that's both. Where he, oh, he was insurance salesman by day and by drug day. kingpin by night. I'm telling you, you should be writing this down right now and pitching this Spin tomorrow. Off. <laughs> Spin off. <laughs> all right. You get you get uh, 13 percent. All right. It's uh, it's fair. Only fair. It was, all right. You, you get 10 percent or 11, uh, maybe 7 percent you get. <laughs> the number just keeps going down. It does. <laughs> this is Los Angeles. Welcome to Hollywood. Kid. I'm a producer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, if I can just have part of the Emmy, that's all I care about. Yeah. Um, we have any more questions? Uh, it's not a question, but there was a nice little story that came in uh, from Philip Sheridan. Would you mind reading that? Okay. From Philip Sheridan says, I was born in 1973. So my mash exposure started, according to my mom, around 1979. When I would start sitting with her and watching every week, got to stay up late. Oh, boy. My mom reminded me that I used to make comments during the surgical scenes that I wanted to help people like Hawkeye someday. Wow. I did become a paramedic and have been one for almost 25 years. You must be very tired. So I would have to say MASH was a big influence on me to get into the healthcare field. Congratulations, Philip. That's a wonderful thing to do. I have dealt with paramedics and I have huge amounts of respect for them. So congratulations for doing that. Uh, and it's an amazing thing to hear that MASH, in terms of how MASH matters, boy, it sure mattered to Philip, didn't it, ladies and gentlemen? I rest my case. And he says, I'm curious if anyone else has had similar stories. Very cool. I mean, is that cool or what, Brian? I mean, yeah. by golly. I, I, and I would love to hear if, if, if MASH had an influence on your career, you know, or your path in life, if there was some aspect of MASH that sent you down a certain path, we'd love to hear from you. And you can, you can contact us at mashmatterspodcast at gmail.com, or you can just go to our website, mashmatterspodcast.com, or on Facebook, or on Twitter, or you can call and leave a voicemail and tell your story on, on a voicemail as well. Speaking of voicemail, we had another voicemail come in this week that I would like to play for you. Uh, this is from our friend, Russell. Hi, Jeff and Ryan. This is Russell in Washington. And I got behind in my podcast listening, but I recently had the opportunity to listen to the episode with Nurse Kelly. And I wanted to thank you both for having her on. It was a home run. Uh, the look behind the curtain was great. And Jeff, when you asked her to sum up some of the actors on the show, that was perfect. Those are things us mashophiles really appreciate. And, and Jeff, I want to tell you something that I'm not sure if I already said. I have a medical issue that affects my memory. So if I have already said this, please forgive me. But you said something on a previous episode about Igor. You said you were personally intimidated, so you let Igor be intimidated. 
And there was always something about Igor I couldn't place. And after all these years, hearing you say that brought it home. So thank you for letting us in on that. I will forever watch Igor with a new appreciation, and I hope you're proud of what you created on MASH. MASH, as I said before, is, is, is awesome. It's something I passed on to my son. He started watching it when he was five, and he's now 22, and I know he will pass it on to his kids. It will live on long after we are gone. Wow, Russell. Well, what a wonderful thing to say. And certainly thank you for the kind words you said about me and Igor. I really appreciate him. Um, yes, I did play it like I was intimidated by everybody because I was intimidated by everybody. <laughs> uh, I let that happen and let it be truth, which so I could be truthful when the, and turn the camera on. So that's the way that worked. But I certainly appreciate the kind words. I, I'm very, I'm very moved. I, I continue to be moved by these kind words that we hear all the time, not only about me, but about the show. It's, it, it is really impactful, wonderful to hear your thoughts about Kelly. Uh, and that we kind of showed you what was going on behind the curtain. And hopefully we'll continue to do that. That's what we're here for. And and uh, you certainly talk about things that that really hit home about why MASH matters. And like you say, it, it did then and it will continue to matter to a lot of people for a long time. Mm-hmm. Even after we're gone, I don't want to be gone. <laughs> like, God, oh my God, where am I going? I don't want to go. Oh, Oh, well, hey, uh, thank you, Russell. And if you would like to call in and leave a voicemail like Russell, you can call us at 513-436-4077. And you can find that number at our website, mashmatterspodcast.com. Well, that does it for uh, this episode. Is that it? We're done? We're done. Yeah. Now, you know, a couple episodes ago, we asked for recommendations for a sign-off. Last episode, we... We kind of narrowed it down to two, and I even put a poll out on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. If you if you have not liked our Facebook page, why not? Go do it. But there was a poll, and uh, people have uh, been been voting on this poll. We have two sign offs that we we discussed last time. One of them being goodbye, farewell, and amen, and the other one being here's looking up your old address, which is a uh, one of my favorite Henry Blake lines. I'll tell you, we've had quite a few votes. We've had like 123 votes at the wow. time of this recording. And Who, who's winning by 11 votes right now? Here's looking up your old address is winning okay. by 11 <laughs> votes by a score of 67 huh. to 56. So I guess you could say that goodbye, farewell and amen. It's winning the electoral. And uh, here's looking up your old address. <laughs> is winning the popular vote the popular right now. Vote. Yes. Well, that sends chills up my spine. Even thinking about that. <laughs> what I've heard, though, is, even though the Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen have had, has a, quite a bit of support, the comments that I'm hearing from some people who are voting for the other one, and the reason why is because they feel that Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen sounds too final. Mm. You know, they, they associate that with the finale. Aha. Uh-huh. And so Good point. they think that when we sign off Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen, that it sounds like we're signing off for good, and they they don't want that. Ah. There might be a few people out there who want that, but for the most part, yeah, there are I'm sure there are a few. <laughs> for the most part, people aren't wanting that, so that's why they're voting for. Here's looking up your old address. So I, I think that uh, I, I mean, what what are your thoughts? Uh, I, I know that we've given this way too much discussion, um, way over, way over the, the course much. of three episodes. Um, but I, I'm thinking that maybe we lean towards. Signing off our episodes with here's looking up your old address. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Who, me? Oh, <laughs> sure. Yes. Yes. Jeff, you in the back. Yes. Yeah. Uh, here's looking up your old address. Uh, here, You know, one thing I, 
it's perfectly okay with me. I'm happy with that. But just as as an aside, when I was in Korea and I performed in Korea for the USO, um, when I left Korea, every place when we leave military bases, their greeting for goodbye was see you back in the world. It wasn't see around or goodbye or anything. Uh, it was see you back in the world. And they, because they considered where they were, were not part of the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so going home, going back to America was see you back in the world. That was their goodbye. So I don't know if we want to incorporate that into anywhere or not. Or that, that's nice. That's historically accurate anyway. And not to mesh, but to reality. Right. Well, to Korea, to Korea. Yeah. And who cares about reality <laughs> or Korea? <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I like Korea. I really do. I like the North Koreans. I like the South Koreans. I like kimchi. I like all of it. Can we bring in Woody Harrelson to say it? <laughs> Get in here, Woody. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, uh, to, to wrap up this episode. Hey, thank you for joining us. Please listen, subscribe. You can leave a review at Apple Podcasts and uh, send us voicemail, send us questions. We love hearing from you. And uh, Jeff, until next time. Yes. I'll see you back in the world. And for everybody else, until next time, here's looking up your old address. (laughs) 